0: Welcome to Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This is class number five called Gold, Clay, and Prophets. In this episode, we talk about the challenge that Heavenly Father has, who does everything as gold. God is the gold, but he replies upon human beings to carry out his work in the restoration. And there is the clay. It's that mixture of gold and clay that we need to understand. Some people are bothered by the clay. They assume that works of God should be perfect. It should be all gold. But God is doing his work in these latter days with human beings, which means everything has a mixture of gold and clay in it. Even the translation of the Book of Mormon, what went into Joseph Smith's head was gold. But what came out of his mouth and into Oliver's head and into Oliver's pen and on the paper and then to the printer's manuscript and then to the printer introduced a little bit of clay. And that's the mixture. Are you prepared for the mixture of gold and clay? There are those who are walking away from the gospel because they expect it to be all gold. And when they find clay mixed in with it, they sometimes get offended and walk away. But everything in the restoration, everything that God is doing in our day, is a mixture of his gold, his divine gold, with the clay of human beings. Everything we've been doing has been from a divine hand. Now the restoration gets a little complicated. As we hand it to mortals. So today, before we just go on, I just want to talk a little bit about that messiness. It's what we call the gold and the plate, the clay principle. Everything God does is gold. But human beings are clay. Now, looking at our, looking at our foundation circles, first vision, You might think, well, that's all gold. But how do you know about it? How do you know about the first vision? Through the writings of? There's the clay. (laughs) Nothing in the restoration is pure gold without a little bit of clay mixed in. And we need to understand that balance, the gold and the clay. So here we have the knowledge of Heavenly Father. Now we have the book of Mormon. Can I show you the gold and the clay in that? Do you remember what was Moroni's biggest concern? Moroni had such a big concern about why people would reject. Go to to, uh, Mormon chapter eight. So notice chapter, actually go back to chapter seven, Mormon chapter seven. This is, Moron, this is Mormon speaking, right? This is Mormon signing off, saying his goodbyes. Now go to chapter 8, verse 1. What does it say? I Moroni, which means Mormon's gone. His father's dead. Now Moroni is finishing up the record and he's saying, I'm worried that you guys are going to reject this. I'm worried that you guys in the latter days are going to reject this. I am the same who hideth up this record unto the Lord. The plates thereof, the gold plates thereof, are of no worth because of the commandment of the Lord. He, for he truly saith that no one shall have them to get gain, but the record thereof is of great worth, and whosoever shall bring it to light. Imagine translating that if you're Joseph Smith and translating that verse and hearing Moroni speak to you. Whosoever shall bring it to light, him will the Lord bless. Now Moroni Moroni begins the whole discourse on, I'm worried that you guys are going to reject this. And one of the reasons he seems concerned that people are going to reject the Book of Mormon is what reason? I'm worried you're going to reject it because of the clay. I'm worried you're going to reject the Book of Mormon because of the clay. Because this book is going to come to you through humans. Now, when God hands it to Joseph Smith, it's gold, right? But I can't jump into Joseph's head and read that version of the Book of Mormon. Oh, how I wish I could. The version of the Book of Mormon I read went from the head of Joseph Smith through his tongue into the ear of Oliver Cowdery into his pen. Now, how many mistakes happened right there? Can I give you an example? One time, Joseph said, read. Read. Shall re- wither like a dried reed. You know what Oliver wrote? So clearly, he's hearing incorrectly. Now, luckily, we change it back to read, but that's one form of the clay, what Oliver heard and what Oliver wrote down. And then, how did we print it? So Oliver wrote it down. That's the original manuscript. And then how do we print it? Joseph learned from the loss of the 116 pages never to let those print those, that manual out of his, manuscript out of his hands, right? So what do they do? Oliver makes... Another copy, the printer's manuscript. So first of all, Joseph said, Oliver heard, Oliver wrote, and then Oliver wrote. What's fascinating is the errors in the original manuscript are errors of hearing. The errors in the printer's manuscript are errors of seeing and writing. Let me show you. A couple of big ones. Please don't let me shake your faith with this. You'll see where I'm going in just a minute. But Oliver made some mistakes. Let me show you. Oh, I don't think. Do I have the original? I think I may have the original. Okay. I think I have. Because they just printed it. They just came out with, you know how the Joseph Smith papers just published the original manuscript, which we only have 23% of. But, dang it, I don't have the original. (sighs) Okay, I will do this for another class, but I will get, we do have this in the original. What Alma said to his son Corianton is, return to them and repair. Now how, sorry, how would he have made the P? So Joseph says, return unto them and repair the wrong you've made. Corianton, you sinner, you made some mistakes. It's caused the work some progress, some pain. You go back and repair. Now, how would Oliver have written repair? Big, tall P, right? Repair. Now, somehow, somewhere... Oliver spilled ink. He spilled a little ink. So that when he made the printer's manuscript, repair became retain. He saw the crossed P and his eye said, what is that word? Retain, and so what he wrote in the printer's manuscript is you need to return and retain the wrong that you've done. What? That's not doctrinally correct. You don't return and retain. So when we printed the first edition of the, manu- the Book of Mormon, guess what, guess what the first edition said? Return and retain. You need to return and retain that wrong which ye have done. Retain the wrong. <laughs> and that stayed in the Book of Mormon until 1920. When James E. Talmage said that is not doctrinally correct. Now James E. Talmage didn't have access to the printer's manuscript like we have today. But he said that is not correct. So open up to Alma chapter 39 and tell me what they did. Starting with the eight, the 1920 edition of the Book of Mormon, tell me what the Book of Mormon now says. Alma t- 39, I think it's 13, I think it's verse 13. What does it say today? Okay, let's find... Is it not thirteen? Go to verse nine. Is it nine? Is it It thirteen? Okay, no. Keep acknowledge is right there. Acknowledge Acknowledge your faults and acknowledge your faults and that wrong which ye have done. What did they do in nineteen twenty? They just took the word out. They just took the word out. Because doctrinally, we don't retain our wrong, do we? Now, fortunately, we had a royal skousin who came and found the original manuscript and found on the original manuscript that the original word was repair. And somehow repair turned into retain, which turned into just take it away because that's not doctrine and collect. Now, is it okay to say acknowledge your faults and that wrong which you have done? That's fine, but we've missed the original word, haven't we? Because why? Why did we miss it? Because God screwed up? There's the clay. God and clay. Do you see the problem we have in the restoration? God and clay. Can I show you another one? Let me show you another one that just irks. I love Oliver. I can't wait to meet Oliver. I can't wait to (laughs) throw my arms around Oliver and say, I love you, I can't imagine sitting and hearing Joseph dictate the Book of Mormon. If I could trade places with almost anyone in history, it would be Oliver Cowdery. To sit there and hear him translate. But Oliver, (laughs) I think, caused one of my biggest pet peeves. (laughs) In Alma chapter 2, we are introduced to a group of apostate Nephites known as the Amlicites, right? Alma chapter 2, Amlicite, wants to be king. You know the whole story, right? The whole marking of the forehead. I use that story constantly. Those of you have been in classes, have you heard me tell the marking of the forehead, red in the forehead stories? How many times do I tell the red in the forehead, Amlicites? Amlicites. Now here's the problem the Book of Mormon has. These, this is a powerful group of Amlicites who rebel and join the Lamanites and then disappear. After Alma chapter 4, we never hear about the Amlicites again. What we do hear about, when the mission of the Lamanite occurs, that there was this group of apostate Nephites who joined the Lamanites, and they're the most hardened, darkest people among the Lamanites. They're the ones that Amalickiah uses as the the, um, leaders of the army to make them angry. What group of people were the most hardened of all the ex-Nephite Lamanites? The Amalekites. How did they begin? Where did the Amalekites rebel and leave the Nephites? We don't know their origin. We just know their ending. The Amalekites, we know their beginning and then they disappear. We know how the Amalekites rebelled and left the Nephites and then they disappear. And then all of a sudden there's this group among the Lamanites that are the most hardened and we don't know where they came from. See where I'm going with this? So I did a little research. The very first time in the, was it printers? In the printers. We don't have this chapter in the original. It's been lost. The first time we read the word Amlicites, Guess what Oliver did? He wrote it with a K. K. Amlekites. The Amlekites. In fact, he wrote it repeatedly as Amlekites. Amlekites. Now, what happens if I were to put an A right there? A Malachite. The Amalekites. Now, what word might have been on Oliver's head? Well, when you look at Omni, guess what name he had already written down? Amalekiah. I think the connecting of the dots. We have a group where we have their origin and then they disappear and then we have another hardened group where we don't know where they came from. I think the Amalekites Amalekites are... The Amalekites. But somewhere in Oliver's pen, the Amalekites became the Amalekites. Now, do you know what that tells me? Oliver is translating a document he's not familiar with. Joseph is dictating a document he's not familiar with. Would they have made that mistake if they weren't familiar with this document? No. Is can I, can I grant Oliver some leeway and to say he's, he's being thrown all these names that he's never heard of and he's writing them down and all of a sudden the, um, the Amalekites and he's already heard the word Amalekites. The Amalekites become the Amalekites. And now all of a sudden the puzzle is put back together for me and I understand why the Amalekites were so hard. When I read the story of the Amlicites, I'm connecting the dots. But do you see the clay in the Book of Mormon? Now, did Moroni know that there would be clay in the Book of Mormon? Did he know that it would go from the gold, right off the gold plates into Joseph Smith's head as gold, but out Joseph's mouth, into Oliver's ear, into his pen, from his pen to another pen, from that pen to a a typesetter, How many human errors get introduced in in that? So going back to Moroni's writing, look at how often. Look at how often he's concerned about. They're going to reject the book because of the faults of men. Go to the title page of the Book of Mormon. He wrote it into the title page of the Book of Mormon. What's the last thing he said on the title page? Now this is the last leaf of the gold, pa- pa- gold pages. So the last thing he wrote on the portion that Joseph Smith was going to put in our Book of Mormon today was what? This book is perfect unless. We unless you all screw it up, <laughs> and I know some of you in the latter days are going to reject it because of what? The, the human element. Now, I love the contrast here. If there are faults, they are the mistakes of men. Wherefore, condemn not the things of God. There's the gold and there's the clay. Now, the big challenge of the restoration is that God can't do this work alone, can he? And he has to involve human beings. But the moment he involves human beings, what happens to the restoration? It's messy, it's messy because humans are messy. And I guarantee if I were to grab a hundred people who have left the church, probably 99 of them, if not all 100 would say the reason they left the church was what portion of the golden clay? The clay, they left the church over the clay. And it's probably a misunderstanding of the clay even. But do you see the challenge of the restoration? So here we have first vision, Book of Mormon priesthood. And the further we go down that line, what's going to begin to happen? The further we go down, the more humans get involved. And the more don't condemn the things of God because of mistakes of men. Moroni had it right on, Moroni saw our day so perfectly and said, I know why people are gonna leave the church. I know why you're gonna reject the restoration. It's because of mistakes of men." Now watch how our Doctrine and Covenants begins. The Lord says, I embrace that. God says, I embrace the messiness of the humans. Go to section one, Doctrine and Covenants section one. Watch how he begins. Now this, isn't, this one didn't come first, right? Section one came a year and a half later when they're having a little convention as to whether or not we should print the revelations. And the answer was, yes, we should print them and we should put this one as the first section. Notice verse six, what does he call section one in verse six? His preface. He calls it his preface. Now notice the whole Let's go to verse 24 and tell me if God doesn't embrace the messiness of human beings. From the very beginning, what does he say? Liam, read it for us. Behold,
1: I am God and have spoken it. These commandments are of me and were given unto my servants in their weakness after the manner of their language that they might come to
0: understand. So what's he saying? I'm embracing the messiness, guys. I need you to embrace the messiness. I'm embracing the messiness of human beings. I am giving this restoration to humans, and it's going to be filled with clay now. Now, here's what we often, here's what we often see happen. Unfortunately, in the world of information spreading so quickly today, There are a lot of people, allow me to call them. I'm gonna put a little pendulum here. The innocent, no, how do I say this? The innocent optimist. The innocent optimist. These people see the ideal that the church is perfect, that everything a prophet does is perfect, that prophets don't make mistake, there's no mistakes in the scriptures, The church history is full of just perfectness. I know a lot of these people, I love them to death, but they are heading for a crisis. Do you see the crisis that's coming? The crisis is the messiness of the clay that God embraced, but they assume everything's gold. They assume everything is gold. Can I give you an example? I have a Come Follow Me podcast uh, two years ago when we were doing Doctrine and Covenants. We did a podcast on section 111, which is one of my favorite sections. Um, Right after section 110 is the, section 109 is the dedication of the Kirtland Temple. 110, the Savior comes, Elijah, Elias. 111, they're heavily in debt. Someone comes up to Joseph Smith and says, I know where we can get some gold. I know there's a house in Salem where there's gold deposited in the basement. If you take me to Salem, I'll tell you which house it is. We can buy it and then we can have the gold in the basement. Now, not a far-fetched idea that there's gold in the basement in a Salem house. I I totally buy that. How many of you think, though, that that's the way the Lord's going to get the church out of debt? Is that the Lord's plan? A large deposit of gold in a basement in Salem, Massachusetts? But verse 1 of, or tell me where section 111 was given. Salem, Massachusetts, which means? Joseph went. Now, one thing I love is verse one. One of my favorite verses is section 111, verse one, where the Lord says, I am not displeased with you coming this way, notwithstanding your folly. <laughs> Meaning what was the Lord saying? You messed up. Joseph, this is a dumb idea. <laughs> this was not your brightest hour, but I love you for trying, Right? Now, we're doing this podcast, and I'm trying to point out that Heavenly Father, that that's the kind of being Heavenly Father is. That he looked at Joseph Smith and says, you know what? Love you to death, but Joseph, this is not your finest hour. You made a mistake. And guess what happened? Can you guess the comments that we got on our podcast? How dare you? How dare you suggest what? That the prophet made a mistake. And I just thought, oh, you guys are in for a (laughs) crash. You're in for it. Could you see the crash they're in for now? I love them to death, but they're in for a crash, aren't they? Because what's the other side of this pendulum? The other side of this is the real. And the real is the clay. The real is that this gospel, this restoration, is being carried on by mortals who make mistakes, and the Lord allows that. I would love, I would love the Lord to have said to Oliver, "No, they're the Amlicites. Correct that." Why don't we correct it? I don't know. I think out of respect to Oliver and Joseph, we just let it go because we can't prove that it's legit.
1: Okay, what about
0: like the... The Retained. Oh, that one, that one, come on, we got to fix that one. I think a future edition will correct. A lot of, a lot of these have come to light in the last 10 Let's see. The last edition was 2013. Did we know some of them in 2013? Yes. Did we know all of them? No. Thank goodness to Royal Skousen, who has really championed a lot of this and the Joseph Smith Papers. So maybe a future rendition of the Book of Mormon, I hope, will put repair back in.
1: And the
0: fact, and the fact that it's not there. Guess what that does to me? The fact that it's not there. The fact that it doesn't say repair. Like, reminds, reminds me of the clay. the clay it confirms the clay and I love that That the Lord allowed clay even in the translation of the Book of Mormon and if we don't know where the Amalekites came from we can still learn some great lessons from them and if we don't know where the Amalekites went to we can learn some great lessons from them so it's not going to end the Book of Mormon but it is evidence of the challenge we're going to face in the restoration do you see it coming Now, when people face the real, when they come face to face with the real, what do they often become? The pessimists. The disillusioned. And we all know some, don't we? I know people have left the church because they came to the reality that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon by putting his head in a hat. And yet none of the pictures of the translation show Joseph Smith with his head in a hat. Therefore, they conclude that the church is hiding something, they've lost all faith, and they've become disillusioned pessimists. And now prophets are completely what? Completely human. And none of it is divine. In other words, there are those who see only gold everywhere. And no clay. And then you get, you you can't live in that world very long, can you? Because you're going to see the clay all over the place. And then if they're not careful, what happens? They become everything's clay. And there is no gold. Hopefully, at some point. Now, let me just show you this. This is creation. This is fall. And what we need is atonement. What we need are open eyes and open hearts. who say, "Okay, I can buy that Oliver missed it. But this book is unique. This book is divine. Is it all gold? No. And Moroni predicted that it would be all. And the Lord embraced that it's not all gold. But is it all clay? No, it is not all clay. Somewhere in every aspect of the restoration, in every aspect, we have to understand there is gold there, but there is clay there. I can't be innocent to the clay, but I can't become a pessimist because there is clay and assume that there's no gold. And I can give you example after example after example, but you're going to face it in your life—the mixture of gold and clay in the restoration. Liam. story about a
1: friend like literally the exact theme. Like, so.
0: You say I got to get the yeah, cool, cold so air like on because it's the, warm. The dad of the
1: like, family, he was like very like an optimist, like everything was gold, and they grew up like like the way he grew up. They were very like we have the gospel, like they, they believed that they were actually like above like other people and like other religions because like, you know, they had the truth and stuff. like, it was just kind of like very black and white, like <laughs> it was a very all or nothing type of thing. And so when he kind of learned that other churches, like in other religions do have truths there, he it kind of like flipped his world a little bit and like that, like kind of, and just finding out more mistakes, he got more into like anti-Mormon literature and then he started swinging the other way. And it was like, he couldn't have the middle ground. He, it was like all or nothing. So he went from optimist to disillusioned pessimist. Yep. And he's like... And they stay there.
0: Yep. And they stay there. And the irony is, I don't know hardly anyone. In fact, I don't know anyone that I know has left the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and joined another church. I don't know anyone because once, you, once you're faced with the dilemma, if you have to reject it because it's not all gold, then what must you do? Reject everything. And they don't join any church and they become atheists. They don't believe in God. They go from having a moral code and praying and worshiping God to absolute atheism, all because they couldn't rectify the balance between a little bit of clay mixed in with the gold. And that's why I want to bring it up in this class. It's a challenge you are going to face as more and more of the past comes to light. You are going to see the clay of the restoration. Don't cause it to throw out the gold of the restoration. Jensen. Um, I
1: was taught the um, like stages of faith progression by Brother Day at the University of Utah. And he talked a lot about like, it's a sign of growing faith if you go through a struggle of yeah. faith, like, like kind of a faith crisis, if you call it that. So I was just wondering your thoughts, like, would you ever say it's necessary for someone to swing this way as long as they come back? Is that a strengthening?
0: I think that if they, don't, they don't necessarily have to swing and become a pessimist, but I have to acknowledge the clay in the restoration. I have to embrace it. And these people aren't. These people are not embracing it. And at some point, I have to open my heart. Now, can I go from innocent optimist to open-hearted? Yes, I can. But I have to embrace the clay of the restoration. And that is the wrestle that so many people are struggling with because I can't deal with the clay. I expect the restoration to be gold. If this is Jesus' church, then what do they expect? All gold. But it's Jesus' church in the hands of human beings. Therefore, it's going to be messy. And bishops are going to say things that are going to offend people, and they're going to leave the church. And the Lord allowed that bishop to be called. So there is a mixture of gold and clay. So what I wanna do is use the prophet as an example. We talked about hierarchical priesthood, so I wanted to combine that discussion with this discussion, and as an illustration, we're gonna use the prophet. Because was there something to Joseph Smith that was gold? But was Joseph Smith clay? Is Russell Nelson? A little bit of gold and a little bit of clay. And it's that messiness that we need to talk about. And so let's use the prophet as an example. I want you to, want you to show you the Lord is going to set this up beautifully so that we understand there is gold here, but I'm allowing the clay. Abby, go ahead. Um, so my, whatever that
1: class well, the CTR-7 teacher, um, one who taught me, like, before my baptism, um, he ended up leaving the church. So I guess I'm just hoping that there's still hope for him. And
0: Well, he has access to the light, whether he embraces it. I don't know. I hope so, too. I've watched a lot of I've watched a lot of disillusioned pessimists stay there for a long time, and it's a prideful thing, I'm not coming back. I've watched a lot of disillusioned pessimists say, you know what, this life I've chosen is not what I wanted. I remember another life and I wanna go back and they are open up to, you know what? But even that, do you think the Lord in their judgment is gonna allow a little messiness in their judgment? Is the judgment going to be a little mixture of gold and clay as well? You bet he is. That's the beauty. So let's walk through watching the Lord play this out. From the very beginning, he's going to set Joseph Smith up as gold and clay at the same time. And if we, if we just hold to that expectation, I think we'll get it right. Right. So let's start with the gold, okay? Turn with me to Moses chapter 6. There's something you need to understand about prophets, seers, and revelators. Let's go to Moses chapter 6. Allow me to start with the gold. Pearl of Great Price, Moses chapter 6. This is the calling of Enoch, the prophet. Now, what's ahead? Tell me what's on the horizon with Enoch, Somehow we make this disconnect. I don't know why we make this disconnect, but what's what's on the horizon? What's right down the street and Enoch can see it? A flood that's going to destroy how many lives? We erroneously say that eight people were saved from the flood. That is false doctrine. How many people were saved from the flood? An entire city which could have had millions of people in it, right? Enoch saved many people from the flood, and he saw it coming. Now, what is the problem Heavenly Father has with us? I think this verse 27 is a great description. Today and then, what is the big problem with human beings? We just can't see very far. I love the description. I am angry with this people, and my fierce anger is kindled against them, for their hearts have waxed hard. I love an ancient American. I can't track this tribe down. I'd love to do this. If you can help me with this, please. I heard many times a Native American tradition that says everyone has a triangle in your heart. And when you sin, it spins and it hurts. Now, you have two choices. Repent and stop the spinning or harden your heart. Now, if you harden your heart, what's going to happen to the corners of that triangle? What will a hardened heart do to a spinning triangle? It will wear down the the corners until it becomes a circle. And then it just spins and spins and spins. And I feel nothing. That's a beautiful description of human beings. You either soften your heart, repent, and stop the spinning, or you harden your heart and become completely callous to it. And so Heavenly Father said, I'm angry because, A, their hearts have waxed hard. Their ears are dull of hearing. I love that Paul said we have itching ears. Itching ears are selective. I want to hear what I want to hear. And I don't want to hear what I don't want to hear. And then I love this one. What's the problem with humanity? I don't see afar. Remember this phrase: I don't see afar off. I don't see afar off.
1: And we won't do anything unless we do
0: see. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not stirred to action until I see. I don't see afar off. So what does the Lord do, Abby? Yeah, good one. So tell me what prophets do. So the Lord says to Enoch, anoint thine eyes with clay and wash them. Wash the world out of your eyes and thou shalt see. That's what a prophet is. Wash your eyes and you'll see. Now tell me what prophets see. Tell me what prophets see. I, if, if you've got your scriptures out, you've got to make a connection. Do you see these? You've got to connect those two verses. I can't see afar off. And prophets see things not visible to the natural eye. There's the gold. Now, he can be a mortal person. He can go yell at his wife and lose the spirit. But his job is to see. I saw. I saw something that other people didn't see. He sees that which is not visible to the natural eye. Now, pause in this discussion. Turn with me to Mosiah chapter 8. Do you remember um, Limhi becomes slaves to the Lamanites and wants to get back to Zarahemla? So he sends a group of people north to see if they can find Zarahemla. What they find are the Jaredite ruins, and they bring back the 24 gold plates. Then King Mosiah sends Ammon to save Limhi, and they find out about the gold plates. So Limhi says, Mosiah chapter 8. Mosiah chapter 8. Limhi asks Ammon, is there anyone that can translate? i really like to know what happened to these people that we discovered. He says, O king Oh I can assuredly tell the old king of a man that can translate the records, for he has wherewith he can look and translate all records that are of ancient date. What would King Mosai have? He had a Urim and Thummim. And he can look and he can see. And whoever has them is called A seer. A seer A seer. So, Limhi concludes the same thing I think anyone would conclude. Verse 15, what does he conclude? A seer seer is greater than a prophet. And what does Ammon teach him? They're the same thing. And what do we sustain? What will we sustain in a couple weeks? What will we sustain the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve as? Prophets, seers, and revelators. Now, their job is to see. Now, I love this list. Ready? I love this list. Now, if the Lord teaches by emphasis, I'm going to mark. I want the blank version so I can mark. Ready? Verse 17. Tell me what a prophet can see. Let's mark this. We'll do number one in green. Tell me what a prophet can see. Okay. They can see the past. I love that. Prophets can see the past. Okay, number two, we'll do blue. Things to, come. Things to come, which are to come. Prophets can see the future, which therefore makes them a prophet. They prophesy. But now notice the next list. I'm going to do this in the same color as if to say it's the same thing with emphasis. Tell me everything that prophets can see in the rest of the verse. Secret things, hidden things, things which are not known, and things which otherwise could not be known. Like, give me an example of that last one. (laughs) Abraham taking a vision of the cosmos. How in the world could a human being know that? But a prophet could see it. Yes. So look at that list. Now, it's funny. When you talk to non-members about having a prophet, what do they assume? Which of the three do they assume is the most valuable? I want to know what he's predicted. I've had a lot of conversations with non-members saying, tell me what your prophet has predicted. Give me something your prophet has predicted. Now the reality is, I can give them several, but none which will convince them he's a prophet, right? Which one does the Lord seem to emphasize? Things that we can't. Seems that are here on earth, going on all around me, and are hidden, secret things, and that is why we need a prophet. I don't see them. Now, let me tell you the danger. Ready? Because I don't see them. Go back to the Pearl of Great Price. Because I don't see what a seer sees, what happens? All men are offended. Why are they offended? I don't see it. I don't believe it. And he, it's, it's, this is life or death. You're going to die if you don't pay attention. And what do they call him? A wild, A wild man. Now, let me see if I can pinpoint the wildness of the prophet. Because, turn with me to section 101. When do prophets speak? Doctrine and Covenants section 101. Now, let me come back to my point here. We will do this in a couple weeks. So in a, in a couple weeks, you're gonna connect this discussion to another discussion. I'm gonna save it for that other discussion. I'm gonna show you Joseph building up to the Jackson County being kicked out of their land. I'm gonna show you exactly Joseph's seeing and warning but when they were kicked out of their land, and the Lord gave them a little parable to explain why. Notice what he says I will show unto you a parable that you may know my will concerning the redemption of Zion. I sent you into this land to plant, to set watchmen. That's plural, right? To set watchmen round about the plants. So there are lots of watchmen on the ground parents, mutual leaders. I'd like to think an institute teacher is a watch man on the ground. And then I want you to build a tower that one may overlook the land round about and be a watch man, that singular. And his job is simply to do what? What is the man on the tower's job? To see what I can't see. Now, do you remember the language? Watch the language. Ready? So they planted, they set the watchman, they began to build the, temp- the tower. What did they never build in Jackson County? The temple. And then they began to take issue. What need hath my Lord of this tower? What need hath my Lord of this tower, seeing it is a time of peace? I don't see the enemy. Why do I need a tower? It's a waste of my time. And while they did that, they were at variance one with another and became very slothful and hearkened not unto the commandments of their Lord. And the enemy came by now and broke down the hedge and they were frightened and they fled and they destroyed the work. So the Lord of the vineyard came back and said, why not? Why? Question mark. Why exclamation mark. That's not a why, that's a why? <laughs> why? What is the cause of this great evil? Ought you not to have done even as I command it? Meaning build a tower and set a watchman upon the tower and watched and not have fallen asleep. Now notice the language. The watchmen on the tower would have seen the enemy while he was yet afar off. See the connection to Moses 6? The same words My eyes cannot see afar off. But his eyes would have seen. He would have seen the enemy while he was afar a off. James?
1: So does it get you excited that we have 11 temples being dedicated between August and January? Yeah. And three last week. Yeah.
0: Now, that is the setting for this verse. Tell me when prophets speak. They do not speak in the day of trouble. That's where they're wild. Prophets speak in the day of peace. If you don't listen in the day of peace, then what? You will not be prepared in the day of trouble. Prophets speak in the day of peace. And there's the challenge, there's the gold. Prophets speak when you don't see the danger. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, how many days, how much rain was falling when Noah said, get in the boat and lock the door? No rain. Now, where is this boat? Is it docked at the, the shore? No. It's in the middle of the land. And Noah says, get on the boat and lock the door. And how much rain is there? None. None. Do you see the test? Would you have gotten on a boat docked in the middle of the land with no sign of rain? (laughs) (laughs) That's the test, right? Okay, Naaman. Naaman the Syrian has leprosy, and a prophet says, wash seven times in the Jordan River. He goes down and he washes once. How much leprosy falls off after one wash? What's the temptation? Didn't work. How many one dip members of the church are there that it didn't work? Didn't work. I'm out. He said it didn't happen and I'm out. I'm a one dip Mormon. What's worse are the six dip Mormons, right? How many of them made it through six dips? And after six dips, nothing changed. And so they get out of the river. When does the leprosy fall? Seven. Only after seven dips. There's the, pro- there's the day of peace, day of trouble. All right, let me show you one more. Turn with me to, Moza- or to Helaman, chapter 13. Samuel the Lamanite, standing on the wall, gave a fascinating little prophecy. He said in verse 20. No. 13. 13. Helaman 13, 13. Helaman 13, 13. But blessed are they who will repent... For them will I spare. Behold, if it were not for the righteous who were in this great city, behold, I would cause that interesting prophecy, right? Fire should come down out of heaven to destroy it. If it weren't for the righteous, fire would destroy Zarahemla. Now, what's interesting is, turn to 3 Nephi chapter 8, verse 8. What happened to Zarahemla? So Helam, or Samuel the Lamanite says, if it weren't for the righteous... Zarahemla would burn Zarahemla. and then third Nephi chapter eight, verse eight, the city of Zarahemla did take fire. So the prophecy is fulfilled. So the question is what happened to the righteous? What happened to the righteous that were in Zarahemla? Well, we get a little hint in chapter 10, verse 12. Helaman chapter 10, verse 12. What happened to the righteous that were in Zarahemla? It was the more part, it was the more righteous part of the people who were saved. It was they who had received the prophets and stoned them not. Okay, put all those dots together. There came a moment when a prophet came to Zarahemla and said, I couldn't find stats to get. There was a moment when a prophet came to Zarahemla and said, get out. How much fire was there that day? None. No fire. And there's the test. Those who waited until the fire came never got out. That is the gold. They see. They see. And they speak. And the test is Will you listen in the day of peace or wait until your own eyes see it and burn in the fire? Now, knowing this, let me, let's get to the clay. On, the April, on April 6th, 1830, the day the church was organized, tell me the Lord doesn't have a dramatic flair. In the middle of the meeting, in the middle of organizing the church, Joseph Smith is conducting the meeting and receives a revelation in front of everyone. That's the Lord being a little dramatic. That revelation was for the church. Turn with me to section 21. Doctrine and Covenant section 21. In the middle of that meeting, Joseph receives a revelation. Now, verse 1, what does God call Joseph? You and I call him Joseph the prophet. I love that he's known as the prophet. But what did God call him in section 21, verse 1? A seer. Joseph is going to be a seer. Joseph is going to see. And then he says in verse 4 Wherefore, meaning the church, thou shalt give heed unto all his words and commandments which he shall give unto you as he receiveth them walking in all holiness before me. Who was that line for? That I think was for Joseph. You guys give heed, Joseph, you walk in holiness. Don't you think Russell Nelson has heard that line? I have heard this line, I'm gonna give heed. Russell, you speak. President Nelson, you speak, I'm given heed. And I think the Lord is saying to President Nelson and to me, he walks in holiness. For his words ye shall receive as if from mine own mouth. And then this phrase. In all patience and faith. There's the clay. What is written into that phrase right there? Receive what he says as if it's from me in all patience and faith. What does he mean by that? It's going to be messy. I think part of it is sometimes you won't see what he sees. Sometimes he might get it wrong. Sometimes it may take longer than you expect. And sometimes you might see his flaws. Receive what he has to say in patience and faith. Tell me what the Lord just did. Beautifully. There it is. What does this sometimes, what would this suggest? There's the gold. There's the clay. Find a balance. The day the church was organized, this man and his successors Can see something that you can't see. There's the gold. But they are human beings. And I will allow them to make mistakes. I embrace their humanity. There's the clay. Will you join that church? Will you be part of that church? Will you understand the balance between the gold and the clay? Especially when it gets serious and the fire's coming. With all my soul, I testify that there is a great deal of gold in the restoration. With all my soul, I testify that there is a great deal of clay. Come on, retain. Retain. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Retain. Oliver. Do I love it? Do I embrace it? I think we have to take what he says as if from mine own mouth in all patience and faith. In your life, I pray that you will find the balance between gold and clay in the restoration. I worry that there are those who have left because of my clay. You can't be an institute teacher without risking that. I worry that I've said something or done something and my clay was enough to push someone away. And so we all pray, find the balance between the gold and the clay. I love being part of a church where God has embraced that. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Foundations of the Restoration. This has been class number five, entitled Gold, Clay and Prophets. As you ponder this week, What have you noticed about the mixture of gold and clay? Have you noticed people that are offended because of the clay and they walk away? What have you learned about prophets, gold and clay? Would you share with me or share with the class or find someone in your inner circle and share your thoughts about the mixture of gold and clay in the restoration, and especially as it applies to the role of prophet?